Is Australia already at war? And the foreign interference scare is being run by agents of foreign interference. Coming up on this week's episode of the Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 14th of September 2023. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party researcher and editor Richard Barden. Welcome Richard. Thanks Robbie. In today's episode we're going to be talking about uh, some important articles actually that, that we've covered in the Australian Alert Service. Richard, our weekly magazine which people can get a copy of but you should also subscribe to. Um, one written by you about how far Australia has actually engaged itself in the war in Ukraine. Um, well, actually a war against Russia. And the second one is we want to do a story on uh, the whole drama around foreign interference, but, but focus in on, on um, the fight against the, the hysteria about TikTok mm. and the work of Senator James Patterson. Because what we have exposed for years is that the hype around these subjects, like foreign interference, are being pushed by agents of foreign interference, and we're going to show that in this case. Um, but first, uh, help us get the message of this show out. The way you can do it is like the show on uh, YouTube here, share it as widely as you can, subscribe if you're not a subscriber, and remember to ring the uh, bell icon. Comment below, please, that's really important for the get the conversation going. And also, there's a donate button down below where you can help donate to our campaigns, because even though they're not the headline acts today, I'm about to start talking about those. Our party uh, does a lot of amazing work thanks to the support of Australian citizens. We are the Australian Citizens Party. Uh, so we need your support and you can, you can help us in that way. Um, so yeah, Richard, before we begin, I just want to run through a few things uh, quickly by way of update on the campaign about the banks, right? That's our, we're not talking about the banks in general today, but we're going to, a few things are happening. First of all, um, the branch closures campaign is heating up. So next week, there are three hearings on the Senate inquiry into bank branch closures in regional Australia. One in Launceston on Tuesday, uh, Canberra on Wednesday, and Junee on Thursday. And Junee is the town that made all this happen. And I'm really looking, I'm going to be going to Junee. Glen Isherwood and I are going to these hearings. I'm really looking forward to visiting Junee, New South Wales, because... Um, when it, was that, it was that town that decided to do something about this. And the fight is what attracted the attention. And the attention from the media is what attacked, attracted the attention of the politicians. And once the politicians uh, saw what was happening, and some of them took leadership, and hats off to Senator Jared Rennick for that, we got this inquiry. And because we got the inquiry, we've been able to make the banks back down in certain ways, like CBA and uh, Westpac. Um, and so, yeah, the Junee hearing, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going there. They deserve to have a hearing. Now, of course, their bank has been saved for the next three years at least, their, their CBA there. Um, but the question is to actually provide banking services permanently. Now, the one bank that has been completely arrogant uh, and totally defied the committee and the inquiry is National Australia Bank. And the last few weeks we've been talking about the town of Waruna, the, the shire of Waruna in Western Australia, and because the town there is about to lose its only bank, which is a NAB branch, 
And they had a protest meeting last Thursday night, a week ago. Uh, we shoot the show in, during the day here, though, so this is our first chance to update people on it. We'll put some pictures up on the screen there. You can see that it was a, it was a well-attended meeting. About 100, it's a small town. 180 people turned out to, 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 um, to discuss the, their concerns about the bank branch closures. That was excellent. The town, that town is putting up a fight. And they are reaching out to the 13 other towns around Australia that are also losing their NAB branches right now. There's, 30, there's about 40 that have lost branches this year. There's 13 more on the chopping blocks. So they're reaching out to them. And they're hoping to put up a united front against National Australia Bank. Um, a little bit of a negative comment, though, about this. Um, at the meeting, you had a, you had a, a local member of parliament, Robin Clark, State Parliament. State Parliament, who, got, who attended the meeting because, you know, going through the motions of being a concerned local member, she's concerned for the town, etc., etc., etc. But then she got up and made excuses for the bank. And she basically, I mean, you could call it victim-blaming, mm. right? Uh, she, she repeated the bank's lines that when there's, the way she said it, when there's not enough loans in the branch, when there's not enough insurance being sold and... I forget the other thing that she indicated. Not enough business going through the branch. The branch isn't profitable and the banks are shutting them down. Mm. But this inquiry has proven that the bank's <coughs> branches are profitable. The banks mm. are not shutting branches because they're unprofitable. No, or because they're doing less business because they're not. They're doing plenty of business. They are extracting as much wealth out of that town as they ever have been. They just are determined to push everyone digital so they can extract that wealth with the least amount of investment. That's what they're doing, mm. right? And you've got politicians that are hardwired, it seems, in their DNA to be obsequious to the establishment, even though there's an, if they were following the inquiry that was going along, they would know the truth of the matter because that's what's come out of the inquiry. And that's why, I mean, sometimes you shrug your shoulders and think, well, that's why the Citizens Party exists. Why aren't we part of a major party? Because that's the rubbish we see in the major parties all the time, right? Mm. And it takes a party like us to come along and say, no, we're not going to accept your rubbish. We're going to force this to things like an inquiry. Some decent people in those major parties step out from the herd and take leadership and we, and we get the truth out. So anyway, that was, that was worth updating you on. Um, and bear in mind, this is all part of the war on cash, right? The, the, the banks are on this digital tear and they're determined to force, us, force it on us. So just a Minor news update on that, Macquarie Bank has come out and announced that it's going to go completely cashless and get rid of checks. Now, Richard, it's more symbolic mm. than material to the Australian financial system, mainly because I've just discovered how many branches Macquarie Bank has. Um, yeah. Three. Three. <laughs> so uh, Sydney, Sydney, so, Melbourne and... I forget where the other one is. Probably, probably, <laughs> probably Brisbane or maybe two in Sydney. Probably Singapore. <laughs> probably Cayman Islands. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's so. Yeah, that, that's not that's not germane to the functionality of the Australian financial system. However, um, this is the millionaires' factory, you know, thumbing its nose at the fact that if they were paying attention, in fact, I'm pretty shocked they can't read the room. If they were paying attention, mm. they would realise that there's, there's actually a really big brewing backlash out mm. there against this. Yeah, they're usually smarter than that. I was a little surprised myself. No, they are. And while I remember it, sorry, producer, but I do want to reference, I think we can um, put a link to the 
uh, the the um, keep uh, the 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 the, the change.org petition to guarantee cash and banking services that now has 124,000 um, uh, uh, signers in Australia. But they did an update a couple of weeks ago, and we'll link to the update, um, because the one and only Russell Brand in the UK mm. actually highlighted their petition when he talked about this issue in the UK. Because there's, yeah, right. there's concern globally about this. And if you know who Russell Brand is, he's got, a, he's got like six and a half million YouTube followers and whatever. Um, so that's, that's, that's actually an important update for people to read. But the, but the change.org petition here is going big guns, right? And that's just part of the, the rebellion that's out there. We've covered the young um, professional gambler in, in WA, Crispin Roviri, right, who's started his own protest against the way he was treated by Westpac, etc. Um, and where we have common ground with that campaign is he's pushing really hard for a, a bank of last resort. Right, and that's what our postal bank, public bank, is—a bank of last resort that will always be there to provide service for everybody. And so, speaking of that, the final thing to update you on in that regard is the one and only Steve Keen, one of the most well-known economists in Australia, um, tweeted the other day his endorsement for the postal bank, public bank campaign, um, and we'll put his tweet up on the screen. Now, Steve Keen, uh, Richard has. A bit of a battered reputation, but I don't think it's deserved. I don't know mm. if we've talked about this. I don't know if you agree with me or not. But he, his reputation stems from the fact that in, in the battering of his reputation that he took it, it, before 2008, he predicted that the property market in Australia would crash. And mm. he said, he took a bet that if it, I think it was with Christopher Joy. Christopher Joy, yeah. That and, that's, and that's actually quite important, but I'll mention that in a minute. Yeah, let me describe the bet, and you explain why it was a little bit rigged. <laughs> anyway, so the bet was that if the property market didn't crash into... Well, they didn't know... Yeah, this was pre-GFC, right? So when the GFC happened, it should have happened because it happened right around the world. Uh, Chris, the bet was he, that Steve King would have to walk to the top of Mount Kosciuszko, right? In board shorts, I believe. Yeah, and he officially lost the bet. <laughs> but why is the Christopher Joy side of that important? Well, because... The property bubble would have collapsed were it not for the government's extreme interventions to save it. Yep. And what was not disclosed, and presumably was not known to uh, Steve, Steve Keen, was that Christopher Joy was the guy in there writing those policies. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so he knew what the government was going to do. And that's the thing. Nobody, around the, nobody in Australia, nobody around the world could predict the lengths the Australian government would go to to prop up our property bubble. They, broke, they threw out all the free market rules. It was massive intervention, and Steve and uh, Christopher Joy directed it, the guy that Steve... Anyway, so the, the only foolish thing Steve Keane did was take a bet against Christopher Joy. Um, but he's actually, he's actually quite... Um, we don't agree with him on everything, but he's quite a, uh, a, 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 um, a thoughtful economist in, in many ways. This is an area that, that he and, and us definitely agree on the need for a public bank, and so that's excellent. And, there's, and he's now part of a group of... Like there's, a, there's actually a collection of economists that have actually endorsed this idea generally. There's a general support out there for the idea of a public bank, a, a, a postal bank idea, including said Christopher Joy is one of those, <laughs> um, and that, that's in our material there. He's, he, they came out in... Um, uh, 2014, and talked about Christopher Joy was part of a group of five economists that came out talking about maybe we need this kind of institution, mm. right? So anyway, that's that was very happy that Steve Keen has publicly endorsed that, and 
um, more people need to get on board. This is a this is a moving train, and we've got a few months now. The the, the, the inquiry into bank branch closures. This is coming up all the time at the inquiry that there's a solution for a postal bank, and uh, that is due to report in December. So we'll see what they have to say about that. Okay, so we used up a bit of time there, Richard. Let's get onto the main stories of the day because they're actually much more serious. Is Australia already at war? And, you know, I think people, when they hear us talk like that, you know, before you think of it in an academic way, take the time to stop and think what it means. Um, because wars happen, and when they do, they are hell, right? No truer words were ever spoken than war is hell, right? If you're in Ukraine right now, war is hell. If, you've, if, if you're in Iraq for the last 20 years, it's been hell. Syria, hell, you know? Pro-Libya, as we were discussing. Yeah, half was, the country's underwater, it seems. Half the country's underwater, and it ain't climate change. Nope, it's, it's because the, the Americans and French and whoever bombed all their infrastructure, and nobody's operating it, and... They got record rains, at least recent record, and the dams burst. They created a failed because, state that yeah. can't look after things like infrastructure, and now the dams have burst and it's washing everything away. Um, that's the legacy of war. So that's what. So the question is: Is Australia already at war? Now we know, Richard, the Australian government supports Ukraine against Russia. That's the everyone knows that, and and they've backed that up with a billion dollars of aid so far, mm. right? We're in a cost of living crisis, massive fights over, you know, investing in housing and all that kind of stuff. But no worries with a billion dollars to Ukraine. I want to play a quick video just to just to highlight the kind of people we're supporting over there. And what's this gentleman's name again? Uh, his, his name's uh, his surname's Padalyak. He's a he's Mikhail Padalyak. Padalyak. Yeah, he's the. Uh, Pretty much the, the the main advisor to President uh, Zelensky. So this is this is Volodymyr Zelensky's main advisor. It's just a twenty second clip, but he's talking about his opinion of the intellect of Chinese and Indian people. В чем проблема Индии, Китая и так далее? Проблема этих стран в том, что они не анализируют последствия собственных шагов. Слабый интеллектуальный потенциал этих стран, к сожалению. Да, они вкладываются в науку. Да, Индия послала сегодня э, луноход, да, и э, уже ездит по поверхности Луны, но это не говорит о том, что эта страна точно понимает, что такое современный мир. Equipment on the moon or whatever, mm. essentially they're subhuman. That's that's the gist of that. So, Richard, if you're an Australian who's going to vote no to the voice. The Labor position here would like to be that you're a racist, um, even though they're trying to backpedal on that, but they, you know, that's, the, that's the way politics is played in Australia. Oh, you're a racist. But if you're an actual racist Ukrainian who thinks Indians and Chinese are subhuman, here's a billion bucks, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're doing over there. Um, <laughs> and we shouldn't be surprised, you know, last year uh, we highlighted it numerous times on this show and this is just one I keep coming back to because I'm, I'm outraged that no one ever comments on it. Um, the week the war started, both the Prime Minister then, Scott Morrison, and Albanese got up in Parliament and in, in, in supporting Ukraine um, in that conflict, they said that they'd both met with Stefan Romanu from the Federation of Ukrainian and Australian Organisations, whatever they're called, but mm. 
the real reality with this Australian Stefan Romanu is he is the he was the immediate past global chairman of the organization of Ukrainian nationalists B. And what does that mean? The B stands for Bandera, um, as in Stepan Bandera, the, the infamous genocidalist uh, Ukrainian nationalist who collaborated with the Nazis and later with MI6. But during World War II, they, the AUNB and its associated organisations and paramilitaries slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Poles, uh, you know, Jews, Russians, anyone who wasn't their idea of the of what a you know Ukrainian ethnicity yeah. should be, uh, because they thought they were subhumans. And then, and, 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 and nothing's changed. That ideology, as you saw with with Mr. Paralyak, nothing's changed. Nothing's, nothing's changed. And and if people wonder about this conflict in Ukraine between Eastern Ukraine, which is the Russian speaking, and Western Ukraine, it, the the things that poured fuel on the fire. It's not just the Maidan uprising with all these Banderites overthrowing an elected government in 2014, mm. but then doing things like um, naming, giving, uh, naming Bandera's birthday as a national holiday, mm. right? Naming the, is it called Dear Yasin, where the massacre of Jews took place in, in um, uh, Ukraine? Or, 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 that, that might be the wrong name. That, I might be confused about something. But there's uh, a... a uh, uh, Baba Yar. Baba Yar. So there was a, like a ravine where all these Jews were massacred and the road to it, the Ukrainian government named that Bandera Way, mm. this kind of stuff, right? And that's, you know, so for the Russian speakers on the east, they're like, you, you know, you Nazis, we don't, we don't respect you at all. We don't recognise this kind of government. Um, so anyway, but, but you're not allowed to talk about that, right? We just give them a billion bucks. Anyway, that's what we've done up until now. What we've done, what's happened now, though, could be a lot more serious. Legally, the support we've been giving Ukraine since the beginning um, was already enough to make us involved in the war, but now it appears we may have crossed a line. So lay it out, Richard, what's happened? Uh, so people have probably saw in the news lately these um, so-called cardboard drones. It's, I mean, it pretty much is cardboard, these lightweight disposable drones made by this Melbourne company. Um, Yay, we manufacture stuff now. Yeah, manufacture cardboard Weapons anyway. <laughs> um, and the, uh, so they've been supplying a hundred of those. The, the Australian government buys them, sends them to Ukraine. So this is a government-to-government deal, which is important for reasons I'll get to. Um, so they've, they've been supplying a hundred of these things a month for quite some months now. They're designed. They were initially designed for, uh, you know, uh, dropping uh, small parcels of, of important goods into areas that you couldn't otherwise get. You know, logistically difficult to access areas. And they modified them to work as surveillance and and uh, uh, detection, that sort of thing, um, for military purposes. So that's all good. Um, only. They're made of cardboard, basically, so mm. they're almost invisible to radar. The internal components are visible, with the, the, the press board they're made of isn't. Uh, they're very difficult to detect in flight, and they carry a payload of five kilograms, which, if any, you know, for anyone who knows anything about modern explosives, it doesn't sound like much, but five kilos of, say, C4 plastic explosive will mm. turn a truck into scrap metal yeah. um, that you can... This, you, know, you can put it in your well, pocket. And, and we've, uh, 
I'll make sure we've been playing footage of the actual drone. You can see them. We'll, we'll get the stuff offline. You see that it's got a certain size. It can clearly carry something yeah, of yeah, that yeah. kind of five kilo weight or whatever. Yeah, and so what the so of course the Ukrainian military adapted those to basically turn them into very very slow and small but very stealthy cruise missiles. Effectively, you pre-program them with a set of coordinates. Um, and a flight path, and that's where they go. And so they've been using them as kamikaze drones to attack. Uh, it's confirmed by the officially by the Ukrainians and the Russian government that, that, that this was what was used to attack the uh, Kursk airfield um, a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, what's um, significant about the location of the Kursk airfield? Yeah, well, it's 100 kilometres or so from the border with Ukraine, which puts it in range of these drones. They've got a range of about 120 um, they may also have been used in some of these increasing number of drone attacks on purely civilian targets inside Russia. Oh, but is Kursk the air for inside Russia too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so these, yeah, are, these are targets the, inside Russia yeah. that these drones are being used to attack. Yeah, yeah. So, so Kursk is, is close enough inside the border that they could launch these things from Ukrainian territory um, into Russia. And now, not to drown people in the technical details, but it's important that to understand that we... I don't mind when we talk shorthand like this, we use terms like war, etc. But um, from the Russian side, they've been very... Mm. Ki- they don't call it a war. They call it a special military operation, yeah. right? They, see, they have a legal framework over what they th- say they're doing, mm. okay? And, and um, so they are responding to... And we'll talk more about that at the end, but they're, 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 they've got things they're dealing with in Ukraine. They're calling it a special military operation. Operation. If you want to say they're full of crap and whatever, it's a war. Well, the you know Americans have been using that kind of ploy for decades as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Vietnam was a police action. Police for action. It's all this sort all of stuff, this, right? So whatever. So so that's what they're. So there's. Um, so when we are supplying <laughs> something that's actually crossing the Russian border and attacking targets inside Russia, these are acts of war, suddenly we're doing something quite serious. Yeah, because there's, there's a set of agreed and what they call customary international law that governs the state of your involvement in an, armed, in an international armed conflict. There's the Hague Conventions that predate the UN by many decades, there's, and then there's the Geneva Conventions, um, mm. as, well, as well as a framework in the, in the UN uh, Charter and uh, so forth. But um, the upshot is that there's, there's uh, neutrality and you can forfeit that in various ways, which we already did from the get-go yeah. um, by supporting Ukraine with, with money and aid and, and uh, <clears throat> trade sanctions against Russia. But uh, see, I neglected to mention this in the article actually, but uh, one-sided trade sanctions are themselves an act of war against one belligerent but not the other. So we were already uh, technically okay. a co-belligerent in that respect back then, but we're not militarily involved. And Russia, as you said, is using this legal framework where they, they've stated their policy and uh, that they will only interdict these weapons sh- shipments once they enter Ukraine. But, you know, we're sending them drones now, have been for a while, but now we know they're being used on attacks inside Russia's quote-unquote legal borders, as people put it. Um, it's internationally recognised, undisputed mm. borders. Uh, and we know they're going to keep doing that and we're going to keep sending the drones anyway. That's an escalation to 
uh, co-belligerency under these under these standards. Military um, co-belligerency, not just whatever we yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, as in you're an active participant yeah. in that war. It doesn't matter if you've got soldiers on the ground or not. Yeah, yeah. Now, under a strict reading of those laws, um, uh, you could say, and many have said, qualified experts, not just, mm. you know, not just uh, observers, so to speak, like us, but saying, look, just the act of of government to government provision of weapons uh, and logistical support is already co-belligerency. You can legitimately argue that under what they call a black letter reading of those laws. But by any measure, we are now, were Russia to choose to enforce, you know, say if they upgraded it to an actual war under their terms, there's nothing in the international law stopping them from hitting those shipments of drones on the dock in Melbourne, or maybe even the factory that they're built in, right? Because our government has made us a, uh, a, 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 a participant. They've made us a target. And for what? To support People that. Think, yeah, exactly. What we showed <laughs> before. And so the question is, have Australians been asked, do we want to go to war? Right, because no, of course not. Especially um, not with a nuclear-armed superpower, I might add. Well, 100%, exactly. Um, and just to wrap this up, it's worth... There's been this... We had a very useful briefing this morning about the the overarching political geopolitical dynamic about, around this war. And there's some important signs that people need to pay attention to. We won't go through all the details here, but um, the, the, the signs are that NATO is getting uh, itchy feet here, um, their experience, the, the, the term was they're experiencing donor fatigue. Mm. People, the people who, the people who like Australia have been putting up the money for this war are getting sick of it. Um, uh, some people are expressing frustration at Zelensky being a bloviator, <laughs> right? Um, and more people, and this is the most crucial thing, Richard, including the head of NATO himself, Jens Stoltenberg, are just in their public discourse admitting that this war was never about Putin conquering Ukraine just because he's this mad Vlad, right? And after Ukraine next, all of Europe, right? That was what, we've heard that for 18 months. But one thing, keeping Ukraine out of NATO and... and, um, Stoltenberg himself, a lot of people have been saying that in the last few weeks. Stoltenberg himself admitted, yeah, this was just keeping about keeping Ukraine out of NATO. Yeah. And what was, we, what was so unreasonable about that? Which is an admission that they were, which everybody knew anyway, but that their whole, their objective was to bring Ukraine into NATO and put their weapon systems on Russia's border and all the things that Russia said. Yeah. But that's also, it's also worth mentioning that this is why Russia calls it a special military operation and not a war per se. Because, remember, this has been going on for nine years. Mm. Um, the, the, the 2014, February 2014 coup, followed by the secession of the eastern Ukrainian regions, the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics, as they call themselves. And the Ukrainians have been continually shelling those civilians in those areas this whole time. Um, just terror tactics, just just punitive, just revenge, you know. Yeah. Um, and Russia intervened when it did because 
the Ukrainian forces were massing with NATO support for a huge attack on the key population centres in one of those republics. Mm. And so they intervened to stop that. And, and Putin said at the time something to the effect of, well, if, if, uh, if the responsibility to protect you know, is all right for you, then yep. it's certainly all right for us, given this is our neighbours, our, our own people who just happened to have ended up in a different country because of the division of the borders when the Soviet Union broke up. Yep. So that's... And they had limited objectives. The denazification, demilitarization of Ukraine and no NATO, which is part of the demilitarization because it was NATO that was militarizing Ukraine against Russia in the first place. So that's, that's why they call it what they do and behave the way they do. And it's interesting you say responsibility to protect, which is this doctrine mm. um, that, that justifies interventions. And <clears throat> what were we talking about earlier, which is the most famous example of the responsibility to protect intervention? Libya. Libya. Yeah, and they turned it. They destroyed a, the you know the most advanced country in um, Africa. Um, all right, so we're going to move on, but just just to, just because it's sort of in relation to this, it's worth mentioning that um, uh, you know Australia's position keeps getting uh, shored up, right? Because the Europeans are getting sick of this, but we don't we're not hearing any signs about that. From the Australian government, we're, we're gung ho on this, right? We're, or, the, we're, or the media, because no, all the media. <laughs> well, everyone knows. Everyone who's watching this probably knows why. Well, we're with, <laughs> and we are all the way with the U.S. alliance. But uh, both good and uh, just two quick updates: one good, one bad. Next week, there's a delegation of Australian parliamentarians that are going to the U.S. Congress to lobby, meet congressmen, both Democrats and Republicans, for the freedom of Assange, and. Um, this is, to my mind, this, this Assange issue is the Achilles heel of this relationship because the only reason you're getting this... And it's led by Barnaby. I mean, Barnaby, <laughs> St. Barnaby, um, is, you know, he, he's just... When he's right, he's right. Let's put it that We'll mm. give him that, right? When he's right, he's right. Um, and he's no holds barred. Like, this has got to end. And so they gave a press conference uh, this week in Parliament saying that this is what they're going to do. Um, and it's Barnaby, it's Monique Ryan, it's uh, Liberal Senator Alex Antic, it's two Greens, uh, David Shoebridge and, and uh, Peter Wish Wilson, and it's two Labor, Josh Wilson and um, Tony Zappia. So cross-party, right? Every, pretty much everyone's represented. Mm. Now, I want to play a very short clip from a Sky News broadcast where the former Trump... Uh, Chief of Staff, Mick Mulvaney, was being interviewed by Sky News in Australia, and they raised this with him. It's just a few seconds. Listen, they, they said, how do you think this is going to go? Listen to his response to this idea that an Australian delegation is going to come over and advocate for <laughs> Assange. I guess the question is why? What, what's the constituency? What's the argument for, for why Julian Assange needs to be treated differently than he has been. I, I understand there's a group coming. Uh, I'm familiar with that. I don't know what the message is that they're going to be delivering. It's going to be a very tough audience because uh, Assange is not very well liked by Democrats or Republicans alike. Now, what you see, Richard, there is a massive gulf between what's in the... He said, oh, no one's going to be interested, hmm. right? They don't like Assange. So the Australian Parliament... Why are the Australian parliamentarians go, going, though? Because the Australian people are sick of this. He's an Australian. He's the most famous journalist in the world. 
the more they hear about him, the more proud they are of him, right? They know he exposed war crimes. In fact, that was an Australian story on Monday night, the story of Dean Yates, the former Reuters bureau chief in Baghdad, right? They told his story about how the Americans lied to him about what happened to his staff, and it was WikiLeaks yeah. that exposed that. This is the guys who were machine-gunned by an Apache gunship for no reason at all, uh, except... Dean Yates fell into, a, into <coughs> PTSD because in 2010, when he, when he learned the truth... He realised that for three years he'd blamed his staff and himself for their deaths because there was this one scene where there's a one of there were two staff. One's a driver and one's the photojournalist, mm. right? And so the photojournalist has a camera with a long lens, mm. and he in the footage you can see he even lifted up. And the Americans use that as an excuse to say that's a gun and blow the crap yeah, out. Said, of oh, they thought right? that was a sniper scope. Exactly. And then the other thing is the Americans didn't show him the full video. They only showed him a partial video and they didn't see, he didn't get to see that the driver hadn't been killed in the initial attack and was crawling away and they circled around and killed him and, and, and finished him off, right? This all came out three years later. <coughs> and so for three years he'd thought, oh, the fools, I should have trained them better to know the rules of engagement, right? Mm. In other words, almost victim blaming. You know, they shouldn't have lifted up the, the, the scope like that, Right. Um, that's, that's, you know, it's, it, it triggered the Americans. I sure did. Um, and, then, and then, so it was his fault for not training him better and, of course, their fault for, for being almost self-inflicted. And he realised in 2010 that he was lied to when the WikiLeaks thing yeah. came out and he spiralled into PTSD and that's what the rest of the story was about. So this is what Australians are hearing all the time, right? Yet those arrogant warmongers in the US Congress... They still have this view of Assange, who's this dirty bugger who's embarrassed us, mm. right? Well, so there's going to be a, 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 quite a conflict, I suspect, next week in the Congress. Um, and that's good. What's not so good is a month later, Elbow's going. <laughs> and of course he is, because he's going, um, I suspect, just before he goes to China... Mm -hmm. to make sure that he doesn't upset yeah, the to get alliance. His, to get his instructions. To get, his, to get the instructions. Anyway, all right. Um, <laughs> that's the reality of that. Now, we're going to move on for the time we have left. We want to cover something in, in a bit of depth, actually. So um, just bear with me, Richard. The foreign interference scare is being run by agents of foreign interference. And what I'm going to go through is um, another... So what we just discussed was your article in the alert service here, which is... Um, I'll just show that. Australia edges nearer to war with Russia. And then um, the next article is by Melissa Harrison, Foreign Interference Inquiry Riddled with Foreign Interference. And we want to just use this as, as an example. So in the next few weeks, the Citizens Party, we're going to put out an expose on the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, a video expose, because they, a month ago, wrote this absolute garbage we talked about on the show, attacking us, but then attacking separately the bank branches campaign as a, a, um, a Chinese covert influence operation. Mm. Even though it's got nothing to do with foreign policy or anything, that's what they chose to do, right? They're trying to smear, and then they said this should be, the Citizens Party's activity should be included in the um, social media uh, misinformation, disinformation, censorship law, right? That's what, that's what has to be said. So, and of course, we can refute that a million years to Sunday. Since 2014, Richard here has done virtually nothing but debunk ASPE claims, except instead of going wasting all your breath on the details of what ASPE is rubbishing crapping on about, you've just got to point out the fact that if they're accusing us of foreign interference, it is laughable because they are 
the biggest agents of foreign interference in Australia, right? They get all their, not all their funding, but a third of their funding comes from American government and um, American defence contractor sources, mm. right? That's ASPE. And, and big tech, which is relevant for this Absolutely. story. Now, I, I included big tech under the, I, I did the calculations. It is roughly a third, but that includes big tech. The reason I call them defence contractors is they all con- are. They all contract to the CIA <laughs> they, and or the Pentagon, they abs- so they yeah, fair do. enough. They absolutely do. So the, the story this week <clears throat> by Melissa is about um, Senator James Patterson's jihad against TikTok and WeChat. Now, before we begin, how do you feel about social media, Richard? Um, what's this show rated? <laughs> Like we don't. When this is what you're about to hear is not a defence of social media. It sucks. The world. <laughs> well, the I, world I recently would, quit Twitter. That's what I think about social media. The world media. would not be worse off if it was 25 years ago and we weren't didn't know this stuff seriously. But it is. We're not going to turn it off now. But um, so this is not about that. But this is about the people that are singling out TikTok and WeChat. Um, and bear in mind, as I've said the last few weeks, the, this hysteria about foreign interference began with Hillary Clinton blaming the Russians for the election of Trump because they couldn't stand the fact that they, they had lost the election yeah. to him, right? It, they couldn't, and it wasn't about the, it partly was about the embarrassment of losing to Trump. More importantly, it was not wanting to recognise the fact that how angry must the American people be at the powers that be to try and to be prepared to burn down the house by electing Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That's what they didn't want to look at. And so, because they want to protect the system that the American people hate. And so they had to come up with an alternative explanation that was, oh, foreign interference, the Russians hacked the election, right? So that, was, that started in 2017. In 2019, Little Labor in Australia followed on like little lapdogs and they set up an inquiry into foreign interference through social media in the Australian Parliament. That lapsed. But then last year, Senator James Patterson revived that inquiry and he made it an, 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 a, a, um, a vehicle to attack TikTok and WeChat. Now, and the premise is that all, even though all the big social media platforms are foreign and they're mostly US and they all collect data, copious amounts of it, it's mm. TikTok and WeChat that are sinister because they're from China, whereas Facebook, Twitter, Google, they're benign. Mm. Right, that's the premise here, and it played out in the inquiry. Um, in the hearings, Patterson gave the United States uh, uh, owned platforms like Meta, which is Facebook, I'm still not used to calling it that, um, and whatever the others, yeah, they fa- Facebook and Instagram, I think Meta gave Instagram, etc., gave him a free ride. But he was absolutely aggressive on TikTok, WeChat didn't even bother to turn up. <laughs> They don't have any representatives in Australia. They don't have any representatives, so. and they said they don't turn up anything. Um, uh, but he gave TikTok the rounds of the kitchen, and what and he did. T- it, was, it was typical politicians' ploys, right? Yes or no, and then ask a complex question, and it requires a complex answer. And when they don't answer yes or no, then that's then you're obfuscating. You're not telling the truth. Blah blah blah. Right, this sort of stuff. Um, he made claims that were patently false and just damn ignorant, such as saying that TikTok and WeChat were based in China, which is actually not true. They're both based in um, Singapore. WeChat International is based in Singapore. It's just that, and you might explain this, both of them have Chinese counter... That they were, found, they were Chinese created, hmm. but the way it works is they have these Chinese counterparts and they operate 
under different arrangements than the other ones. Yeah, and the, the companies are, are set up specifically to enable that. The, the uh, parent company of, um, of WeChat, I forget what it's called. Um, ByteDance? Uh, no, 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 that's TikTok. Tencent. Tencent, uh, Tencent, Tencent yes, Tencent. thanks. Uh, Tencent. They, uh, so it's based in China, but so it follows Chinese domestic laws, but it sets up its international subsidiaries with all their operations in other countries or countries that are party to various agreements yep. so that they can operate according to those countries' laws. Yes. They do it the right way. And it's called WeChat International. It's based in Singapore. And the reason they even have an international one is because it's such a good app in t- if you like this stuff. Yeah. Elon Musk is jealous of WeChat yeah. because it's such a good app. The whole Chinese diaspora, which is the biggest in the world mm-hmm. anyway, who want to communicate back home, they all want to use it, right? And so they found yeah. a legal way to do it, all above board, based in Singapore. Yeah, and then um, TikTok is the uh, internationalised counterpart of a Chinese social media platform called Douyin. Douyin, yeah. Uh, and it is based, it's jointly headquartered in Singapore and the United States, and all of its data is stored there. So this idea that Patterson and others keep pushing that, oh, they're beholden, they have to follow Chinese national security laws and the Chinese government will get all your data, it doesn't go to China. It's no. rubbish. Neither company's data goes to China. So Patterson uh, earlier this year went on Sky News to frame TikTok as a national security threat. But th- this was after the inquiry ended, right? We have proved TikTok's a national security threat. But TikTok pointed out that they had invited the committee to come and tour their facilities, observe their data security, observe their content moderation practices, Mm -hmm. right? Come and look at how we operate. And guess what, Richard? They said no. They weren't interested, right? This was a stitch-up. This was a kangaroo court, right? They had had an objective in mind. Um, Patterson demanded, throughout the hearings, Patterson demanded TikTok admit that its China-based employees are subject to Chinese law. Um, but So TikTok replied, well, yeah, but that's true of any company in China. And they cited Australian banks based in China who have data, which is also Australian data. Those employees are subject to Chinese law. Telecom, Australian telecom mm. companies in China are subject to Chinese law. Why? And all the other social media that, that any other social media that's in China is all subject to Chinese yeah. law. That's why Facebook's banned in China, because they refused to comply, so they were shut down. There you go. Um, and when they, when they pointed that out, uh, Patterson spat back, I'm not, asking a, I'm not asking questions about other businesses, I'm just asking questions about TikTok. You can't speak to the operations of other companies. Uh, and I'm, I, I saw that quote, I'm picturing a slick lawyer in a... In a um, in a criminal trial in the deep south, <laughs> right, <laughs> trying to keep the, the witness on track. Um, Patterson, on 19th of July, Patterson went on Sky uh, News to claim that TikTok had failed to meet a deadline five days earlier on the 14th of July, which was to answer the committee's questions on notice. And he issued a stern warning that he would report non-compliant witnesses to the Senate for further action if necessary. And Sky News even added that this could result in fines or jail time. And as an aside, this, this question of defying a Senate inquiry is something that's dear to our heart. I was talking to John Adams on this when he, I interviewed him a month or so ago about the ASIC inquiry. Yeah, the, we think the Senate does have to beef up what it does. But in this particular case, Patterson was grandstanding because he did not divulge that 
he'd given TikTok only three days to answer 15 questions on notice. Now, I've been going to all these Senate hearings on bank branch closures, right? Mm. And the chairman will listen to the witness and then when he dismisses him, he says, any questions on notice, you've got... And it's like three weeks standard to answer questions Mm. on notice. Patterson gave them three days to answer very complex um, questions on notice. These are required technical answers. Um, It required TikTok to provide information about the internal structures of other ByteDance subsidiaries. Which they don't have... Exactly. Of course, they don't have. TikTok submitted some answers by the 14th of July, but informed the committee that other answers were delayed due to time zone issues. Patterson did not issue the same warnings to other social media witnesses like Facebook or Twitter, which also replied outside of the deadline. Um, Now, so then TikTok thought, what do we do? And they went to one of Australia's real experts on cybersecurity, former AFP federal police cybersecurity expert, now University of New South Wales professor Nigel Fair, who did a PHAIR, who did a comparison analysis of TikTok with Facebook, Google and Twitter. And his analysis showed that, yeah, TikTok did, does harvest data, but no, by no means the most. Mm. And Patterson's mm. response to that was, and this, I want to highlight this um, a bit because this gets to where we're going, Every signals intelligence agency in the world had deemed TikTok to be a security risk. In the Western world. <laughs> so, good. Sorry, okay. No, that's why we read yeah. those notes. No, no, right. True, Richard. Every signals intelligence agency in the Western world, quote, had deemed TikTok to be a security risk that the application had been banned from government devices. And then he added... Quote, I mean, they can't all be wrong and Mr. Fair be right. And I think your viewers will be able to make their own conclusions about someone who's been paid for and commissioned by TikTok to run a report which exonerates them and downplays security concerns. Well, in that case, TikTok was on a hiding nothing because the only way they, was going to get, they were going to get someone to do this report in the time frame to help defend themselves before the committee, they're going to have to pay the guy, yeah. right, for a fee. But they found a guy who was of impeachable, unimpeachable reputation, right? Uh, but no, no. Dismiss that. But, but that's the key. Um, D- Patterson's defaulted. But yeah, what about these other countries? And then this, this, this repeats um, uh, again when TikTok executives stated they did not believe there was any evidence that TikTok was a national security threat. Patterson accused them of, quote, questioning the wisdom of governments which had banned the application from government devices. Quote, so the Australian government, the United States government, the Canadian government, the French government, the Danish government, the European Commission, the New Zealand government and the United Kingdom government are all wrong. Are wrong. They're all wrong on this question. End quote. Now, Richard, the reason our friend Senator Patterson is so confident about citing these other countries is because he is involved. In fact, he's one of the front men for a globally coordinated campaign to ensure all those countries did that. Yeah. And it's called IPAC, the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. Yep. And yes, they are all wrong because they're lying, <laughs> because they've been ordered to. Yep. Get in line. <laughs> We're going to take, you know, you're, this is the old American line, you're either with us or against us kind of thing, right? And they use the five eyes. They're all five eyes countries and then the, the five eyes plus and whatever they talk about, right? Yeah. So, what's the Interparliamentary Alliance on China? First of all, it's a UK operation. It's based in the UK, founded in the UK. It's funded, though, or one of its significant funders is the National Endowment for Democracy, and another one is the Open Society Foundation. What can you tell us about those two, 
agencies. The NED was set up in 1983 <laughs> to do the work, as one of its um, founding directors later admitted, to do the work that the CIA used to do covertly. Um, it's a, what they call a quango, a quasi-autonomous non-governmental organisation. It gets money from the US State Department. It's chartered to pursue US foreign policy objectives and it sponsors subversives, colour revolutions, yeah. uh, all of these kind of things, uh, you know, hostile media outlets um, in all these countries that are targeted for destabilisation and regime change by the US government. And speaking of regime <laughs> change and colour revolutions, that's where the Open Society Foundation also plays a role. Yeah, that's, Soros. Yeah, that's the, the outfit uh, founded and funded by the infamous George Soros um, to the same ends, and it collaborates closely with the NED and other groups like it. Yeah. So this is so James Patterson is a, is a, one of the Australian frontmen for this globally coordinated Anglo-American operation, right? To to demonise uh, China here, and of course they're they're being successful, and he was successful here, and they point to the success in these other countries as if they're organic. No, this he's. His operation created that success, right, by McCarthyite hysteria. Um, in Australia, IPAC, as it's called, is dominated by the Wolverines, and Patterson is one of those. And these, we can't spend too much time on this, but these guys are just, they're just loyalists to the United States and the United Kingdom. Mm. They have no, they, they claim they're defending Australia's sovereignty. They define our sovereignty as what's in the interest of the United States and yeah. United Kingdom, right? And, and the name Wolverines comes from that, paranoid 1984 Cold War fantasy film um, Red, uh, Red Dawn. Dawn where these bunch of high school kids miraculously um, uh, defeat this invade these uh, what was it Soviet and Cuban paratroopers who invade Colorado for but some weren't reason. Weren't they Asian? Did no that was make? that was the remake. Oh the re- okay, okay okay. That was a 2012 remake which I have not watched. So um, it's high school I regret kids. watching the first one and these guys are so juvenile. I mean they go around Dennis Richardson, the late, gen- the recently deceased gen- uh, Dennis Richardson, longtime head of various security agencies yeah. in the Defence Department, um, he, uh, it was either him or Alan Gingell who called them the, uh, sorry, it's Alan Gingell who just died recently, um, uh, uh, my mistake, um, called them immature, juvenile, and destructive. Um, you know, you don't know as as. The historian James Curran said, you don't know whether to laugh or cry that these are the people representing Australia in the international arena. And they, and they go around Parliament House putting stickers. Yeah, they put these scratch, these claw scratch stickers on the doors, next to the doors in the hallways of Parliament to identify themselves as Wolverines. They, they truly are juvenile. Anyway, um, now, there's an element of this, this whole picture that's actually straight out extortion. And I wish I had more time for this, but we've... Um, one of the things that the United States especially, um, but the, and I'm sure they learn it from the Brits, um, do is target a company with all sorts of um, accusations, but their agenda all along is to buy it. Hmm. They want that asset because what's TikTok? It's an incredibly popular hmm. social media app, incredibly popular. I th- right? I, don't quote me, but I think it might be now the most popular social media platform in the world. And this is a, this is, these people, I mean, these people are into propaganda. I mean, they, they, they need these kind of tools. Um, uh, so the, the IPAC attack on TikTok coincided with a push to force its Chinese owners to sell to the United States. And um, in, a, 
in the 20, 20 April 2023, so this year, interview with the ABC, Patterson revealed, this is a quote from him, that he, quote, was in the United States personally only a few weeks ago to discuss the matter of a potential TikTok ban or forced divestment to a non-Chinese owner with legislators and members of the administration. And the final report of Patterson's inquiry recommends that if the US government does undertake these actions, force the Chinese owners to divest their ownership of TikTok, Australia should follow suit. Um, And it was shortly after Patterson returned from that United States trip that the first hearings of the inquiry uh, commenced. And then, so when they announced in April that they... um, uh, that they'd achieved their objective with TikTok. Um, Patterson announced victory, that TikTok was banned from government devices. But he did this in a curious way. We're going to put the graphic from his website on the screen because the graphic shows all the media headlines of controversy around TikTok. But look at the, look at the, the stamp on the graphic. Delivered. Not we won, not victory, delivered. Now, delivered has a connotation, mm. Richard. And my question is, delivered for whom? Mm. Delivered right? to whom? Exactly. Now, um, in March, the Washington Post, and here's an example of who we delivered for, revealed, this is one example, TikTok competitor Facebook had paid a PR firm to smear TikTok as a threat to America's kids. And that's one of the things that, um, the uh, especially the Americans carry on about, which is that, the TikTok videos in America are pure filth, <laughs> whereas the, the Doyen videos, you just, the Chinese version of it, the, the American conservatives are like, how come all their videos are wholesome, right? Mm. Young people sharing scientific breakthroughs, you know, nice cultural um, things and whatever. Mm. And the American high school kids, what they're sharing on TikTok is... It makes your stomach churn. Yeah. Not all of it, but there's a lot of yeah. rubbish on there. I mean, there's a lot of wholesome stuff too, but it's the trash that spreads. The tra- yeah, exactly. Well, that's all governed by the algorithm, right? Mm. If the content wasn't there and being popular, and unfortunately, it's the, you know, it's the decline and fall of the Roman Empire all over again in the West, yeah. and they don't want to acknowledge that. Yeah, America's basically late imperial Rome. But then they're blaming TikTok for causing it, whereas TikTok is just the messenger in this case. Um, the other thing... That the um, in terms of who Patterson delivered for, you can see it in the hearings themselves. They were stacked with U.S.-funded Aspie hacks, right? So the United States' main foreign interference operation in Australia, Aspie, was all over this inquiry to make sure it, it went to where it was going. And then this, we're running out of time, but I just want to, I'll just read through this. In addition, <laughs> Senator James Patterson has not disclosed that during the period that he chaired the inquiry, he was awarded a prestigious fellowship by an organisation which was founded by the CEO of one of TikTok's major competitors. In February 2023, Schmidt Futures, a philanthropic organisation, quote-unquote, founded by the former CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, paid for Patterson's flights on accommodation to the United States, and Patterson has disclosed that, and Patterson takes a lot of... um, externally paid flights, I've noticed, like Mm. Scott Morrison does at the moment. Check out their pecuniary interest, people. Um, And so so Schmidt paid for him to attend the organisation's first annual global summit where Patterson was selected as one of Schmidt Future's International Strategy Forum Fellows. The international... And by the way, Schmidt, um, 
Australian conservatives who vote for James Patterson, who don't like Hillary Clinton, might be interested to know that Schmidt was actually one of the leaders of the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016 that, that Patterson's hanging out with. It focuses on geopolitics and technology, and fellows receive mentorship from ISF executives and attend regular conferences. Schmidt Futures and ISF's leadership positions, including ISF mentors, are staffed by former senior Google executives. Eric Schmidt, who has, in, who has been embedded in US defense agencies for many years, chaired Google in 2015 and stayed on at Google's parent company, App, um, Alphabet. Alphabet, until 2020. This is ID format, the kind of thing that we then get told in the, the media headlines, oh, this is a foreign interference operation that James Patterson has, has protected us from. <laughs> That's the foreign interference people. And you can have access to all that really good information of that kind of depth. We spent a bit of time on it today, uh, just to give you an example of it, by subscribing to the Australian Alert Service, because we're always, people like Richard, Melissa, um, our researchers are always digging that deep into these kind of subjects. Anyway, as you can see, Richard, um, we have a little timer here that's telling us how much time we've got, and we've got very little. So we better sign off. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your contribution. It's been excellent. Thanks to the viewer for tuning in. And if you're in the vicinity of Launceston next Tuesday, uh, Canberra next Wednesday, or especially June, New South Wales next Thursday, come along to the hearing. And we'll see you then and see you next week on the Citizens Report. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.